he felt like it was a time for him to come out, as they say. He did it just before the audition. He did it publicly on social media just before the audition of American Idol came out on television. You know, as parents, we all have a love for our kids. And things our kids go through growing up, from those falling off the bicycle and, you know, busting their knee, stubbing their toe, having to go to the doctor and get that first shot. It's tough being a parent, seeing the things our kids go through growing up. But we want to welcome you to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoints. We talk about our kids, how much we love them. Glad to have you here, friend. Excited to welcome Dr. Jerry Harmon. Jerry is the senior pastor at Grace Bible Baptist Church in is it Cantonsville? Yeah, it's Catonsville. It's just outside of Baltimore, Maryland there. Which so is home for you. It's home. Church I grew up in, yes. I want to welcome you back to Memphis, oh, it's first of all. it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I mean... We got I, a lot of good memories here, don't we? We did. I can't believe it's been six years yeah. since you were last here. Yeah. I can't believe it, but it was about seven years ago, maybe. Uh-huh. You were in the studio with Dr. Michael Spradlin, who's the president of your alma mater. Right, Mid-America, yeah. Yeah, also at that time, Brian Loritz was pastoring Fellowship Memphis Church. I remember that. And we all sat in the studio and we talked about Christmas. I still use that audio, matter of fact, Jerry, (laughs) and I have probably every year since you left. Really? Yeah, it was a great show. Yeah, it was a great show. You were pastoring at Ellendale Baptist Church? Yes. And then God led you to go back to your home church? Yeah, go back to my home church, which was a great honor. Um, My whole family was basically saved in that church. Um, my father first made a profession of faith and brought all the kids to church, and I got saved there eventually and started serving there. In fact, my first position at that church was a janitor. Was it really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was 16 years old. The pastor hired me for $50 a week. I thought I was rich back then. was always there around the church serving and uh, grew to love just being there. And one thing led to another and went to Bible college and went out and prepared for ministry. And I, and I actually had gone back there a few times to serve on staff and various capacities. And then uh, came down here. Of course, we love being here at Ellendale and Bartlett, but my founding pastor of our church, the man who led me to Christ, discipled me, mentored me, his health started to fail. And so he called me up, asked me to come back. In fact, he called several times. Wow. He had to convince me, you know, it's time to come home. And so you're his Timothy. In a, yes. In a way, yes. yeah. And I would say that he's had a lot of Timothys. Um, he's had a lot of young men called out from under his ministry there. And so it was, a, it was an honor for him to, you know, choose me and say, hey, come back, let's do a transition. And, you know, in a period of two or three years, that transition began to take place. And then just recently, he died in January. Just a man who had a tremendous impact on so many people there. Very loved in the Baltimore area. And um, he went home to be with the Lord. And so it's it's been an honor just to follow in the footsteps of a great pastor, a great man. He actually had a TV program that he started there. We're, we're doing that now as well. And recently, we took it to a national level. We just started the Ever Living Story on Channel 379 DirecTV, the Uplift Network. So if you have a cable outlet that uh, carries that network, you can see us at Sunday night. It's 8.30 Central Time. You don't mind me giving a no, plug for No, I don't program. either. Matter of fact, I was going to say, I'm so thankful that yeah. your ministry, your teaching ministry is going out from the walls of the church because when you were here in Memphis, you had a radio show right, right here on our station. Right, and thoroughly enjoyed that and had a great time. But yeah, this was something that we weren't looking for. I mean, we, we had a local program there for 13 years in the Baltimore, Washington area. We weren't looking to expand, but the opportunity kind of just dropped in our lap. We had a man call us and said, hey, you can do this for nationwide for uh, probably what you're paying for a local programming. And so 
we said, well, let me see the numbers. And then we looked at it and we said, you know what? This is a great opportunity. Um, we have the potential to reach 28 million possible viewers, whereas before we were probably reaching maybe 2 or 3 million for less. So it was a great wow. opportunity. What a great opportunity. Yeah. Well, so are you an Orioles fan? Big time O's fan. Okay. So last season was pretty hard. They used to give us a clergy pass so I can go every game free. Every game was free. I can go in, sit wherever I want. That's what they were doing well, though. Well, they were doing well, but, you know, last year they revoked the clergy pass, and they lost 112 games. <laughs> so do you think that's an accident? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> hey, when did you first uh, meet your wife, Carolyn? How did you all meet? We met at Bible College. We both went to a Bible college in Indiana called Howells Anderson College. My home pastor kind of pointed me in that direction. That's where I met my wife, Carolyn. And she was a student there who traveled and sang. She was She's a great singer and She's great with music. So was it her voice, or what was it about Carolyn that attracted to you most? Well, um, the voice didn't hurt, but it was her beauty first, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> she is just a queen. I mean, the way she – I think the thing that stood out to me when I first saw Carolyn was just the way that she held herself. She was very very dignified, had a lot of character. The college loved her. She was just one of the – a model student – and all of that. Someone and, help you with your homework too, huh? Yeah. yeah, and they were. I think. I think the administration there was wondering why she was dating me. I think she, they thought that she took me on as a mission project or something like that. How long was it before you were married? That you had your first child. We dated for about three years, and then we got married. And then after we were married three years, we had our first child. That was Abby. And you got how many children? We have four children. Okay. Yeah, Abby, and uh, she she actually lives in London now, London, England. She married a doctor over there. She went over there on an internship at Westminster Chapel, and she's serving there and met a doctor, just a godly young man named Will, and she's married and has one little boy who had one grandchild, Theo. He's two years old now. We have a son, Jeremiah. He's 26. And then I have another son, Josiah. He's 22. And my daughter, Annie, is 20. And she just got married on Friday. That's why you came back to Memphis? I came back to to be a part of the wedding, yes. And how was the wedding? It was awesome. Beautiful. And so dad approves of the young man? He's a great young man. She met him when we came down here to uh, Ellendale. When we were moving our things into the house, a family came over to help us, one of many families. Jonathan was there. Annie, she was 10 years old when she saw him, and she decided right then and there that she was going to marry him. <laughs> and he didn't know it at that time, but his destiny was fixed because yeah. she decided that she was going to marry this guy. And, you know, it was a love at first sight. So, And so, of course, he helped you out getting things moved in. So that was a, that, it was pretty a credit to him. That, that didn't hurt. That didn't hurt that he was there to help me out. You know, we talk about our children and talk about those things. We watch our kids growing up, as I mentioned, as we opened up, Jerry. I mean, yeah. we can tell stories. I've got three sons, and I've got mm-hmm. two granddaughters, and I love to talk about my kids and my yeah. granddaughters. But Jeremiah, your oldest son. Right. Tell me about him growing up. What are some memories and some things you remember most about him? Well, Jeremiah, some of my earliest memories of him were he was just a fun-loving kid. I remember when he was four years old, he sang his first song in church. Carolyn gave him a mic, put him up there in front of everyone. He just started singing. It was like a natural thing for him. It seemed to have no fear of that whatsoever. It seemed to be a natural thing. To me, a typical young man, typical boy growing up. I mean, he he played baseball. He played football. He played basketball. He was really good at basketball. He ended up being an all-star and MVP, played on a national championship team. So contributions to the family, you know, characteristics are things that I can look at each of my kids and see different contributions they make to the family. What about Jeremiah? Well, you know, he was always a person who cared for other people. Hmm. Um, You know, 
he was always willing to minister. I remember taking him with me on a mission trip to Africa and watching him interact and helping people. And he's always had that heart for other people. I remember that when he was going to school, he would come home for the summer. He would go down to the Memphis Union Mission and just go there and sing. It wasn't no fanfare. wasn't getting paid for it. He would just go down to the mission every day and sing to the guys, bring his guitar. Every have, day? Every day. And wow. then have a piano. They would, he would play the piano. He would sing to the guys there. He just enjoyed doing that. In fact, not too long ago, there was a film done about John Bramlett. You remember John That's right. Bramlett? Yeah. yeah. Well, right at the end of that film, they film it at the Memphis Union Mission. You'll see this redheaded kid playing the piano and singing. That's Jeremiah. When they were filming that, they just saw this redheaded kid playing the piano <laughs> and singing to the men. Oh, wow. And, the, and they said, you know, that's a pretty good clip. Let's get that. Nice. And so right at the end, and, and of course, there's John Bramlett sitting there in the front row yeah. uh, listening to it. And so I thought that was pretty cool. That is really cool. Jeremiah's love for singing has led him, this is incredible, to the 17th edition of the singing competition American Idol. When did you find out, when did you and Carolyn find out that he was auditioning for this show? You know, when he was younger, he would talk about, wanting to do that one day. So he talked about it a lot. He actually went out there to New York. Now, I didn't actually come to understand that he went there until after he had already gone there and uh, had auditioned. And when I heard about it, my first thought was, well, he's a good singer and he's probably going to get the golden ticket to go to Hollywood. Well, you even said that. You thought that. Yeah, I thought that. I thought he's going to definitely get that. And then I thought he's probably going to go pretty high. Because I know his ability to sing. I know he's been singing in church for years, and he has always blessed people with his voice. So I thought, you know, I think they're going to like him. I think he's going to probably go pretty high here. And actually, I found out later that they actually recruited him. They heard a song that he did, on, I think, online. It was on a video, and they, they reached out to him and said, hey, won't you come up here? Why don't you audition? He played a song that he himself wrote. It was an original song, and they really liked it. I knew that when I saw that, I thought, well, I think he's going he's gonna to do well in this. Something else you recently discovered about Jeremiah, he's told you he's gay. Right, right. And I think actually on the show there, if you watch the clip, obviously he comes out and talks about growing up in a pastor's home and coming out. Before that, he had confided in our whole family that this was something that he was struggling with in his life. And um, of course, we were there for him. We listened. We were pointing him to a biblical, godly response to how to deal with same-sex attraction. Of course, all of this was new to us, obviously, and surprising to us because from a father, from my perspective, there was no signs there for me of anything like this in his childhood growing up. I've since had parents call me and talk about this very thing happening in their family, and they would say, you know, here are the signs that I saw, here are the things that I saw. I could see none of those things with Jeremiah. So when he first told us about the struggle that he was having, we tried to point him to some proper responses, some biblical responses on how to deal with this. And that was a few years earlier when we talked about it. From time to time, we would revisit it. We would talk about it again. How are you doing? So after he had done the audition with American Idol, he decided to come out publicly, and he did that on social media. So this was something that, in a sense, for me as a father, I think at that moment I realized that he had given in to some of these desires, some of the battles that he had been facing. I think he finally capitulated to all of this, I guess would be the way that I see it from my perspective. And I think also part of the problem I have is I think that we weren't the only voices speaking into his life about it. And there was a lot of people around him perhaps saying, you know, this is 
who you are. This is, of course, that's what society says today. You know, right. if this is, if you're struggling with this, this is who you are. You have to accept who you are. I think a lot of that was some of the things that he believed. And so he felt like it was a time for him to come out, as they say. He did it just before the audition. He did it publicly on social media just before the audition of American Idol came out on television. Jerry Out is an online website that addresses homosexual news, quoted as saying that since his audition on American Idol, Jeremiah Lloyd Harmon has been a clear frontrunner. The Maryland-based musician is everything the Idol audience loves. Stunning talent buffeted by an emotional backstory. It wasn't only Harmon's original song, Heaven, that helped him go viral and secure the coveted golden ticket to Hollywood. It was the message behind it. Harmon like Judge Katy Perry, is a pastor's kid whose sexuality had set him at odds with his family. But Jeremiah says his relationship with his family and his faith isn't as black and white as the show presents it. While his parents aren't accepting of his choosing to be homosexual, he isn't fully estranged from them. You and Carolyn have become too familiar with stories like that lately. Well, yes, because since all this has happened, we have received messages, emails, phone calls from parents who are going through the same thing that we're going through right now. They have the same struggle that we have, and that is that we want to communicate unconditional love to our children, and yet at the same time, we don't want to affirm a pattern of behavior, a lifestyle that is against the flow of Scripture. It's against what the Bible says, and I think ultimately destructive in every way in his life. So on one hand, we want to affirm our unconditional love to Jeremiah. On the other hand, we're not saying that we accept that this is who you are, because that's obviously an idea that's promoted out there in society and culture, and yet it goes against the grain of what Scripture says that you ought to do. Is this news has unfolded, yeah. you know, and it's become more public. Right. Uh, how has this affected the relationship, the dynamics between each of your other family members? Well, I think that all of them see us struggle. All of them have also struggled with it. I mean, our children have always been close. They have always had a very strong bond together. Jeremiah's two sisters adore him, and his brother, Josiah, loves and respects him. So this was hard on them as well. And also to see him come out, and then it just seems like here, the way it's been portrayed is that we're not supportive of Jeremiah, that we've rejected him some way. You've received some flack for not being out in L.A. while Jeremiah's performing. Right, and, and I think people see that, and they translate that into, well, he's, the parents aren't supportive, and the family is not supportive, and that's simply not true. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, a lot of this that we've seen so far, even the episode last night when he did the duet, all of that was taped months ago. And this was back when he had first came out publicly. We talked about it. Things were intense in our family for a little while, but never did we ever reject him or say, we don't want you as a son or anything like that. In fact, if anything, our love, we tried to show it even more. We tried to increase it even more because we could see the struggle he was going through. It was, it's been hard to see that. And the reason we haven't been out there is very simple. It's very practical. I have one daughter who just got married. Weddings cost money, as you know. Yes, the, do. the pastor and, especially uh, doesn't make a lot of money. That's right. So <laughs> we had to get ready for that. We had another daughter, Abby. A year ago, she had a little girl, and the baby died right at birth. This was very traumatic for so our family. Sorry. It was out there in London. So Carol and I, we went out there immediately. And we did get to hold Matilda Grace for a little while before they took her away. And, and I was able to do the funeral service there at Westminster Chapel in London. But it was 
a very traumatic and difficult time for our whole family. Now my daughter, Abby, she's getting ready to have another baby. So we're rejoicing over that. So Carolyn and I, we were preparing to fly to London again to be with her. And that also takes a lot of money if you're going to fly over there and then, you know, stay there. So with the wedding and with that, we knew that we could only go really to California and really probably could afford to do it just one time. And we didn't want to just rush out there immediately because, honestly, we, we sat and talked about it. And we thought, you know, Jeremiah is going to go high in the rounds. I always thought he was going to be at least top 10. So we talked about it, and I told Carolyn, why don't we just wait till late April? We'll get our tickets to go out late, late April. That way we can be there when, you know, it starts really getting the live votes. I think he would need us there at that time more than now. We already have our tickets, you know, to go out there in late April. We're just waiting on that time to go because right. that was the time that we chose. And so I've read some of the social media. It's too bad his parents aren't there supporting him. It's too bad that they're not behind him and that sort of thing. And I think they look at the, our absence there and they translate that into being the th- us not being accepting of him or yeah. we've rejected him. And that's just totally a lie. Well, Jerry, what has been the most difficult thing for you and Carolyn both? through this process. Yeah, I think it's probably that. I think it's just probably seeing the way we're being portrayed as being non-supportive of Jeremiah. Now, again, we obviously don't agree with the life choices that he's made, but that doesn't mean that we don't love him unconditionally. In fact, unconditional love is tested when you disagree with your children. It's easy to love your children when they agree with you, but when they disagree with you, that's when your unconditional love is tested. Yes, it is. So, even though he disagrees with us on a lot of this, we still love him unconditionally. We are so proud of him for so many things, so many things. We're so very proud. But the hardest thing has been to see the media, I think, and even American Idol kind of push this narrative. We haven't accepted him or we've, we've rejected him in some way. And right. then to see some of the attacks against our family. For example, you know, my wife, she's the one who taught him how to sing. She sacrificed. She was a homeschool mom. She's a very gifted lady. She could have gone out and done a lot of things, but she, Jeremiah's whole life, she was there with him and she stayed home and she taught him. She taught him music. She taught him how to sing. And now, you know, you read some of the Facebook and social media. It's like, if your mom doesn't accept you, we'll accept you. If your mom rejects you, you know, there's a group of moms out there that have gay children. They say, well, we'll accept you. We'll be your mother. Your mother doesn't really accept you and we will. That's hurtful to see that because nothing could be further from the truth. I think it's disrespectful. It's been hurtful to watch that. Jerry, as a pastor, you teach and preach from the Bible. Some pastors don't teach the infallibility of God's Word. Is the Bible absolutely trustworthy? It is absolutely trustworthy. I stand firmly without apology on the Scripture. I believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, and it's sufficient. I think it speaks to this issue of sexual orientation, even though there are some out there that don't believe that. Some that say, well, there's only eight verses in the Bible that mention the word homosexual. With all the other thousands of verses in there, why do we have to lean on those verses? Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is once would be enough. The Bible also speaks about dealing with desires, evil desires. It it speaks about that a lot. And a lot of times what you hear is you'll hear arguments like, well, the Bible doesn't really speak to the issue of sexual orientation because we don't see orientation in the Bible. Well, the word is not there in the Bible, but the concept is. And when you talk about sexual orientation, the word that's used by those secular sources, when they define it, they basically say it's talking about a, a desire that a person might have that is continual over a long period of time. And my question would be, does the Bible speak about desires that are constant in a person? Sure, all the time. And it deals with it in several areas, in sexual 
desire is certainly one of those areas. And the principles that the Bible gives about how we're to deal with those things apply in this area of homosexuality as well as other areas. So I think the Bible is sufficient to speak on that. To the majority of those who experience same-sex attractions, they'll say, you know, I'm born this way. How do you address that? Well, that's one of the big arguments used out there that I hear a lot, and that is we're born this way. My answer to that would be I agree and yet I disagree. If you're going to tell me that neurological science has proven that a person, their brain is different than in a homosexual than in a heterosexual, I would say that all of those studies that have been going on out there are inconclusive. And you can do your own research on it. And I have recently read a book that is titled Born This Way. And the book basically summarizes all the various research that's being done to try to really prop up that one idea that a person who is gay is born this way. And, you know, I don't have time to cite all the studies that I've read, but it just goes through all kinds of things, brain plasticity and DNA and genetic research, all those sort of things. One of the more popular studies is done by the neurologist Simon LeVay, who basically took 41 cadavers, 19 were homosexual, the rest were heterosexual. He studied the area of the brain that is supposedly controls sexual behavior, the INAH area one through four of the brain. He measured that area of the brain. You're talking about an area in the brain that's about the size of a snowflake. He measured that area and he found it to be different in size and shape in homosexual men than in heterosexual men. And so from that, he postulated that there's a neurological difference, but there's been some problems with that study. And one of them is, how do you even measure that area of the brain. I mean, how do you even do that? To me, it seems like even the way you would measure it is not very objective. You're talking about all these nerves and tissue running in there, this this little area. I mean, what's the standard on measuring it? The other problem is, is there's a study that came out of UCLA that says that behavior can determine brain circuitry, which means that the way you behave can actually shape your brain. And if that's true, then we don't know if it is different in size and shape. We don't know whether that's the cause or the effect because of that study. And then another thing is, LeVay himself is a homosexual who, when his partner died, said that he was going to find a reason, a neurological reason for homosexuality or quit neuroscience altogether. And then I've read recently that they're even doubting whether that area of the brain controls sexual behavior. And that's one of the more hailed studies that was done. So I think that all of it has been proven to be inconclusive with respect to that. So I would say if you're trying to argue the point biologically, I would disagree. If you try to argue it neurologically, I would disagree. If you want to argue the point spiritually, I would agree, because the Bible is very clear that we are born with a sin nature, all of us. Jesus said it's out of the heart that proceeds evil desires, evil thoughts. The Bible says, David says, in sin did my mother conceive me. And so this goes to the very root of doctrine of the doctrine of sin as taught in scripture. We all bear the fallenness of Adam. We all have a sin nature. There's evil in our hearts because of that sin nature that comes out of it. So these desires come out of a a heart that's depraved, that, that has a sin nature. And the Bible's clear about that. We all wrestle with those things, evil desires. So I would say that theologically speaking, spiritually speaking, are we born sinners? Yes. Are we born with these desires that we can't fulfill legitimately, morally, yes. And again, Jesus made that clear. Remember when the Pharisees were criticizing him for not washing his hands, he said, look, it's not the things on the outside that defile a man. It's the things that come from the heart, the evil heart that defile a man. So yes, we all have evil desires that we have to contend with as sinners. Jerry, I know that we have listening today, I'm sure those that are living with hurts, habits, and hangups, 
their habit may not be homosexuality. It could be drugs, trouble telling the truth, living unfaithfully outside of marriage, addiction to pornography, maybe murder. There are those also hurt by molestation, child abuse, and rage. We live in a world, as you mentioned, contaminated by sin, and its citizens are sinners by birth and nature. Again, you've alluded to that. Mm-hmm. As we also move into this season of Easter, we talk about the life of Jesus. Talk about the significance of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. It happened a long time ago, but why it matters when we talk about these things. Yeah, and you know, this is the only power that can transform a person and can rein in these evil desires and make a person totally new. And that is the power of the cross, the power of Jesus Christ. I've said, you know, before when I've talked about this, in our church, everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is, what your orientation is that you're struggling with. Every soul is welcome. Prejudice is a sin. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against man because every man was created in the image of God. And so we're going to love everyone. We're going to invite everyone. But you know what, Brian? We're going to point them to the cross of Christ because the cross is the power of God and the salvation. And a lot of people don't understand that, or maybe they don't receive it, but it's very true. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, you know, the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. They asked the question, how could someone dying on a cross 2,000 years ago change my life today? But the Apostle Paul said to us, it's the power of God, because we have seen the transforming power of the gospel change hearts and change lives. And that's what we're trying to do. Sometimes people will say, well, you're unloving because you you take a stand and say it's a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Actually, it's the most loving thing you can do because God does love all sinners. He loves all men unconditionally. That's his common grace. But there's a special saving grace that's conditional. And it's conditioned upon a person turning from their sin and turning to Jesus Christ. And so if I said to everyone, God accepts you just as you are, I'm actually alienating you from that special love of God in Christ that was manifest and demonstrated on the cross when he died for all of our sins. All of our sins was laid on Christ. He paid the sin debt. God who is holy hates sin. He must judge it. God is also a God of love. He doesn't want to judge you. He doesn't want to judge me. So all those sins were judged on the cross. All the wrath of God fell on Christ when it should have fallen upon us. Now salvation is a gift that God offers. And that's the greatest expression of love that there is. If I said to a person, God accepts you just as you are, I'm saying you don't need the gospel and you don't need the cross. And I'm alienating them from the greatest expression of love that there ever was, the the death of Christ on the cross. And so I don't want to do that. I want to just say, you know what? I'm a sinner. I have nothing to boast about except the cross. I had to turn from my sin and turn to Christ, and so does everyone else. And that's the message that we want to get out. It's not that we don't, we don't hate anybody, and we're not trying to alienate anyone. We're trying to bring everyone and point people to the cross. But the first thing you have to do is you have to diagnose the problem correctly. And if you don't do that, you'll not know the real solution, which is salvation in Christ. Dr. Jerry Harmon, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today. I know this has been heavy. God bless you, my dear brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here with you. Anytime you're in town, please stop by. I always enjoy getting together with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an honor. Well, friends, that's all the time that we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do appreciate you stopping by. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.